Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to the Greatest Generation Deep Space Nine. It's a Star Trek podcast from a couple of guys who are a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. I'm Adam Pranica. <laughs> you almost forget. <laughs> I'm Ben Harrison. Did you almost forget what show we were doing today? <laughs> there are a couple of ways I could answer that question. <laughs> the one I'm going to choose for the purposes of this answer is uh, I was really marinating in... The idea of that, uh-huh. <laughs> of what I was about to say. Yeah. Uh, still true to our words, still a little bit embarrassed. Well, we marinate for f- between five and 35 minutes at the beginning of every show, Adam. Right. It's what we like to call our marin open. Lock the gates! <laughs> <laughs> Big fans. Um, do you want uh, to do something with this marin open, namely... Open packages of Deep Space Nine trading cards. Let's do it, Ben. It's a beloved bit. The game is five cards stud. The game is exceedingly simple. Or this is just the card data. Time to pluck a pigeon. How we usually do it is we uh, we turn this into a little contest and that uh, we try to go until one of us gets a special card, right? Right. I think last time we we opened a lot of packages. <laughs> Which I'm fine with. Uh the gift of this case of cards uh, was mighty generous. Yeah, there's a lot of them in here. The issue with these cards specifically is that they're stuck together. Yeah, what is, were they stored in a humid warehouse or something? Listen to this. I'm gonna, I have a stack of cards to, here. They are one solid object. I'm going to like put a little flex to see if they break apart. See if the mic picks it up. Oh, yeah. You got that? How about this one? Oh, yeah. That's the sound of semen being uh, <laughs> being separated from from paper after it's dried, right? If you say so. <laughs> I'm sure a solid percentage of our listeners don't know what that is because they were born in an era where it was not possible to find a porno magazine in the woods. Those innocent times. The first card in my pack is a photograph that is totally out of focus. (laughs) It's an episode card for an episode called Distant Voices. And it looks like maybe an... It might be an old Bashir with like a party hat standing Mm -hmm. next to to Garrick and a lady. But that's only a guess because the picture is very blurry for an unknowable reason. It's it's hard to offer fair criticism of these cards without feeling a little uh, ungrateful. (laughs) But if I may be allowed to do that, these cards are shitty compared to the TNG cards. (laughs) I'm just going to say it. Like, Bill Tilly finds eight better stills in every episode than some of these. Right. I have two cards in this pack. One is f- just season two, and one is just season five. And uh, one of the things that's fun to see is Jake in a a onesie that we're very familiar with in season two, and then a much more grown-up Jake in a much more uh, grown-up get-up in season five. I think uh, the highlight of my pack of cards is for the episode called Resurrection, and it is a uh, shirtless Vedic Burial. Hell yeah. On the card with what looks like a freshly fucked Major Kira. <laughs> with her hand on his unclothed chest. She's got that freshly fucked look about her. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to open up another pack of cards. We're going to get letters. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit, Ben. The top card is the card for today's episode. No kidding. I've got paradise. It's fun when that happens. Also, out of focus. <laughs> I have a special card. It's a uh, like a foil embossed card. Oh. It's an image of the space station, and it says Ships of the Dominion War. And I guess the ship of the Dominion War that this one is here to commemorate is Deep Space Nine. 
One thing that's interesting about it is that the back is upside down relative to the front. That's weird. The one card that sticks out to me from my pack is another out-of-focus shot, <laughs> this time of Deep Space Nine itself, and it's got a broken pylon. Whoa. It's floating out into space. The episode is called To the Death. Oh, snap. Uh, hey, I've got one for Whispers, the episode we watched last week. I like that app. Yeah, that was good. I'm going to open up another pack. I don't know what we are hoping to find here, Adam. If you get five cards that are all in focus, I think that should be another way that you win. (laughs) What are they, working at the card company? And they're like, yeah, that's good enough. But it's not in focus. Nobody cares. Oh, I got an Aliens and Enemies card for Jake Sisko. Oh. I got an Aliens and Enemies card for Grand Negasek. Hey, I, I got Whispers, too. Hey, fun. I have cards in here that I'm not even aware of because they're stuck to the back of other cards. <laughs> I'm going to keep opening. <laughs> I really want one with a piece of costume in it. Oh, there's another sanctuary. That, that's two sanctuaries so far for me. Oh, man, I have one for Far Beyond the Stars. Do you know that episode, Adam? I just read about that. Yeah. It's going to be a heavy one. Ships of the Dominion War, a Romulan Warbird in this one. Weirdly, a shot of a Romulan Warbird facing away from the camera. I don't know why you would pick that as the angle to show. <laughs> Not its best angle. No. All right, last pack. Last pack. I think you're clearly the winner at this point. The only way you can dig yourself out is if you find a fragment of costume. That would be amazing. Whose costume would you want? Mm. I guess the answer... <laughs> I, should put the, I should put the caveat, don't be creepy. <laughs> so it can't be a, a kid and it can't be a lady. <laughs> I th- yeah, I think that's fair. <laughs> I guess just Cisco then. Yeah, I guess that's the only one. That's the only one that's acceptable to say. Oh, I got uh, I got an Allies and Enemies card again. This one for Lita, a very fetching Bajoran lady. Oh. All right, Adam. I'm going to play a little game with you. <laughs> I've selected five cards, and these are f- all episode cards, and I'm going to tell you the title of the episode, and you guess whether or not the card is in focus. <laughs> Wait, what's, what are the rules of this again? You just guess whether the, the card is in focus based on the title. Okay. So uh, if you get three, uh, I don't know, I'll Postmates a six-pack of beer to your house. Whoa. <laughs> Challenge accepted. All right. First card is uh, an image of Odo. Looking, um, not great. And the title of the episode is Broken Link. I'm going to guess In Focus. Yeah, I'd, I'd say you got that one. That's a, that's one in the W category. It's not right. super In Focus, but it's more In Focus than <laughs> out. It's not in the filmmaking parlance, tack sharp. No. In a sophisticated monitor, you're not going to get that nice red outline. Yeah, you, yeah, your your peaking is not is not coming in. Yeah. Um, all right. Here's an episode called Little Green Men. The images of Quark and Rom looking very excited. I'm gonna guess also in focus. Well done, Mr. Pranica. You are one away from. Six pack of beer being delivered to your house by somebody who's probably not being paid a living wage. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, six pack of Heineken for <laughs> for Pranica. <laughs> uh, <laughs> One of them is empty. <laughs> uh, that's my tip. Uh, all right, <laughs> next episode. An episode we've already watched, Adam. Uh, it's the episode Malora, and it's an image of uh, Bashir and Ensign Malora having a zero-G makeout sesh. This is tough. Like, I'm trying to get into your mind a little bit. Like, if I'm 
running this game, do I really want to offer three in-focus cards in a row? <laughs> Especially if I've already guessed two in-focus cards in a row. <laughs> but do you think that I think that you would flip three in-focus cards in a row? All I'm saying, Adam, is never go up against a Sicilian when death is on the line. I'm going to say out of focus, Ben. It is very out of focus, Adam. And yes! You won, you won the game. Do you want to try and go for perfect? Yeah, let's keep going. Okay. It's, it's, I'll send two six-packs if, uh, if, if, if you're perfect. Oh. Can you get beer delivered in the state of Washington? I should have checked that before I made that offer. <laughs> how, about, uh, how about we drink that beer on your porch when I come down to visit for Max FunCon? Oh, that sounds great. How about we take the uh, non-living wage labor out of it? I feel good about that. Yeah, and we'll bleep out the uh, sharing economy app that I uh, have never used because I'm worried it's exploitative. Uh, Should they want to sponsor our show in the future? <laughs> <laughs> you fucking asshole. <laughs> That's uh, cold-blooded. Yeah, well, you know, uh, nobody, uh, no ethical consumption in capitalism, Adam. Uh, <laughs> all right. Your fourth card is for an episode called Second Sight. It's an image of Jake and Ben Sisko. Sis, uh, ben Sisko has his arm around his son. I think it would be hilarious if the second sight card was out of focus. So just just for the lulls, I'm going to say out of focus. This one's actually in focus. There's uh, yeah, the Jake is not in focus, but he's closer to the camera and the the plane But that's a depth of field thing, the right? The focal plane is on Ben Cisco and it's like actually well printed. Sure. The Melora card by contrast looks like they may have taken a picture of a television screen and just printed that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Adam. You've got three out of four. Do you want to uh, guess on this on this fifth card? I do. What are we looking at? Okay, this is for an episode called Homefront. It is Ben Cisco in a TNG style uniform. So he's got the red uh, as the main color of the shirt with the black uh, yoke part, and then you've got Jake and uh, I think that's Ben Cisco's father. And Ben Sisko is, like, holding his father up. His father is in distress. Jake is uh, is there comforting both of them. Very dynamic. A lot of movement in the in the shot. Um, I feel like you're trying to throw me off with all this detail. Well, I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to describe it. But, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd say the main thing that you notice in this is that Ben Sisko's father is in a great amount of distress. I think they're going to want to give those characters the respect of an in-focus shot. And so I will say in-focus is my guess. Sadly, Adam, this card is really out of focus. <laughs> oh, man. What I wouldn't give for a Juan Ortiz DS9 pack. That's terrible. Where are you at, Juan? Come on. Get it together, Juan. Don't you know the people want some cards? Wow. That's a pretty fun game. <laughs> it is a it is a game that makes fun of the product and the work that went into it. Yeah, that's kind of a uh, sort of like our show. That's the the biggest kinds of assholes we get to be on this show. I would say. Yeah, I think there are other DS9 cards out there, though. I feel like we could find some other. All right. I don't think we were married to these. I mean, our our standards for DS9 cards are basically one. Do they not stick together? <laughs> if not, good enough for us. Yeah. Well, let's, uh, let's pivot on over to show and talk for the rest of the episode about season two, episode 15, Paradise. Do you realize how incredible this is? <laughs> no. Of course you don't. We're going on a road trip, Adam. Or more specifically, Cisco and O'Brien are going on a road trip. This is a fun moment of, oh yeah, Ben Cisco's a character on this show. <laughs> Feels like it's been a long, long time since we've seen him. Yeah, since he got an ep. Yeah. That's true. Um, I and think boy, did they give him one this time. They really did. This is a 
Ben, Cisco, App. They're having a conversation early in this episode about the idea of O'Brien taking Jake on as kind of a protege, too. I think this is something that Jake wants, too. Jake really feels like he has a lot to learn from O'Brien. I mean, it's like this conversation really plays off of the conversation between Jake and the replicant in the last episode where Jake is like interested in building a ham radio and O'Brien is the local (laughs) radio nerd. And uh, And what if the only difference between the O'Brien replicant and the real O'Brien was that the replicant O'Brien was like a great teacher and (laughs) and real O'Brien just fucking sucks at teaching? (laughs) Jake's like, I thought this was going to be a good deal for me. This is terrible. They should have been observing him more closely. That would have that would have been a dead giveaway, like uh, yeah. like drinking coffee after three p.m. Yeah, I like this amount of exposition up front because you get a little bit of backstory into how O'Brien got the career that he did. Yeah, we didn't talk about that coffee thing, by the way, in the last episode. Did you think that they were having him drink coffee a ton in order to make is is like a bit about Keiko <laughs> saying he would never drink coffee after two p.m. Like really, really sticking it to her yeah. about about not really knowing her husband. Yeah, she she fails the newlywed game on Deep Space Nine. In the ass. Yeah, I do, I like the uh, like we know a lot of the broad strokes of this, but it's kind of providing connective tissue to how O'Brien came to serve on the Rutledge and how he got put in that uniform and stuff. For the entire run of Star Trek, we have been trained to understand that when you're on the enterprise you're one of the best of the best right yeah. with, with very few exceptions but i don't get the sense that if you're on deep space nine that is what your reputation is no you know? it's not it's not the i mean like bashir sees it as potentially that like he can go distinguish himself here Right, but it, but for Bashir, I feel like he knows he's slumming it a little bit because he wants to be uh, Dr. Bashir, medicine man. Yeah, he does. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so they, the, the story here, though, is that they're looking for uh, M-class planets that are kind of in the Bajoran wormhole neighborhood so that the Federation can have some more, some more like easy proximity to the wormhole. Kind of feels like they're 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 uh, itching for any excuse to go on a road trip. One one thought crossed my mind that O'Brien is looking for more away time after his uh, ordeal uh, in the last episode. My other thought is like things have to be pretty slow around the station for the station commander and the head engineer to just like peace out for a couple of weeks and go hunting for planets. But maybe that is the case, you know? Maybe. Your average span of a couple of months on Deep Space Nine are not that exciting. Yeah, I mean, a lot of ships don't even want to take shore leave there. <laughs> so maybe this is a great way to uh, put some variety in your in your job for two guys who have pretty boring jobs. So they end up scanning for life forms, Ben, uh, on this planet. Yeah, there's actually and... a song for that, Adam. Do you know how it goes? I'm sorry, uh, you, you sort of broke up. <laughs> Yeah, no, there's a song for when uh, you're going to scan for life forms because it turns out the sequence of buttons that you have to push on the on the panel actually make kind of a pleasing melody. You know what's great about this is that I know I'm editing this episode yeah. and that drop will not be played. <laughs> you wouldn't edit it out when I say life forms. You precious little life forms. And then he does like the... One of the best parts of this episode is when O'Brien breaks out in song. They find the life forms, but uh, because their sensors cannot penetrate the scattering field above them, they decide to investigate these life signs the old-fashioned way. They've detected humans down here, but they can't get in touch, so they beam down, and the second they're on the surface, tricorders are dead, their communicators are dead, one one fun thing that happens is O'Brien pulls out his phaser and starts pressing the trigger of it without like looking downrange to see what it's pointed at at all. That was one of my favorite parts of the app. <laughs> Just waving it around. 
Like, you know that's a beam weapon, <laughs> chief. Like, he just saws down 14 trees. <laughs> oh, the beast work. Everything else is broken, but the phasers are good. <laughs> the uh, the timber saw setting works great. <laughs> they are set upon by a couple of dudes, one of whom has a bow and arrow. Put your hands up. And that's our throw to theme song. Yeah, after theme, we come back and... Uh, and we meet Joseph and Vinod, who are wearing tattered clothes. Humans that live outside of the Federation are always weirdos. Boy, is that the case. They, uh, they get brought back to camp where they find uh, the remnants of a crashed ship and the town that has sprung up around it. Yeah, it's a bit like a medieval town where there's like a cathedral in the middle and then everything else just kind of radiates out from it. It looks to me like this was a cargo ship full of floppy hats. (laughs) Because uh, half of the town wears one. Yeah. When we were getting ready for my wedding, at some point, my father went to like a hardware store to pick up some stuff and invested in like six really big straw hats (laughs) because it was, you know, LA and everybody was working out in the sun. And so there was just a moment where I was like looking out at the place I was going to get married in a couple of hours and looking at like my dad and my future father-in-law and like a whole bunch of people wearing these just like giant super dorky straw hats. Real flashback to that. They were all dads though, right? They were all dad types. Yeah. Right. (laughs) That's why. Yeah. When you're a dad type, you put on a hat like that. No question. Yeah. These people, they don't even have to be dads to make that fashion choice. Really uh, great, familiar, that lady in this scene, Ben, is uh, is one Julia Nixon. As, yeah. as Cassandra, she is uh, one of the bubblier townspeople. Everyone has really got that uh, cult-happy vibe to them, you know? Like, they are <laughs> so warm and, and greeting O'Brien and Cisco as... So welcome to be there. Yeah, you know, a, a welcome this warm is not without strings attached, you know? Yeah. A welcome this warm usually comes with an orgy not long after. <laughs> uh, yeah, we're all married to you now. <laughs> Great news. Um, I mean, these people have been here for 10 years, so they're not completely disconnected from reality, Uh they do want like updates on uh, on like sporting events and uh, how how women's fashion is going lately. That's one thing that uh, Julia Nixon is very keen to find out about. Julia Nixon was on TNG as a Helms person. Yeah, I wonder if it's the same character. Oh, canonical Julia Nixon TNG type. Yeah, she was oh, like, wow. yeah, I was a, a helmsman on the Enterprise for a little while, and I decided Starfleet wasn't for me. Then I uh, heard about this lady, Alexis, and uh, I just really dug what she was saying, so I decided to throw my lot in with her. I love that headcanon. <laughs> I don't think the timeline quite works. I don't think this is 10 years later. I'm not going to look it up. I'm just going to believe it to be true. Uh-huh. Well, maybe if you believe that like months and years go by on Deep Space Nine without much happening, and that's why Cisco and O'Brien decided to hit the road... Maybe it does work. Julia Nixon's great. Yeah. So, uh, so amidst all this, all these updates, they uh, they meet uh, this woman, Alexis. She's like clearly the leader, and she's got major Goshevin vibes. Where she's oh, she's uh, call. Uh, she's like very convicted in everything she says. Like she's never, you know, tossing something out as a trial balloon or saying something that she doesn't believe a thousand percent. That is a great call about the Goshevin thing. I also got a heavy dose of the most toys vibe from her throughout the ep, right? In that she wants to impose her belief system on other people. Yeah. With a, with a nice dusting of yoga teacher slash homeopathic (laughs) medicine specialist. (laughs) Yeah, she's really? telling everybody about toxins and... Uh, she's wearing that crystal deodorant that doesn't really do any deodorizing. Yeah. 
It's like $8 a thing at, at the natural food store. I don't know who buys it. There are, there are many crystals that she believes in the powers of. And this one, the, uh, the failure of that crystal is easily demonstrable, unlike the one that's supposed to make you have better relationships within your family. <laughs> you know, for a couple years, I used the crystal deodorant, Ben. I'll cop to that. I'm just not going to make fun of it. I'll, I'll admit to having used it for about a year. Yeah. Didn't work. Didn't yeah. work. It's it's a salt crystal, so like logically, it made sense that that it would absorb moisture. Right. But it did not, Ben. Said like Chekhov in, in Wrath of Khan. <laughs> it did not. <laughs> is the idea that you're just getting enough salt in there, or is it just that it's like so saline that it's killing the bacteria? I think that it had an idea at all is a is a fallacy <laughs> okay. about the product. <laughs> I mean, I've uh, definitely knocked it off with using so much soap and shampoo. Like, I don't really use shampoo that often. Once every two weeks. It seems like we've been sold a bill of goods, W slash R slash T, what it requires to be clean that... Uh, is not entirely true, but it's possible to overcorrect in the crystal direction. I'm, yeah, I'm like a once every four or five day hair wash person, and I yeah. don't think I don't think that's wrong. I think the thing about that is hair that is a uh, that is a little bit dirty looks better. I think I think freshly washed hair, it's all frizzy and uh, yeah. and and poofy. I don't like that look. Yeah, you don't want to look like a, a frizzy poof. You know what the best hair is. What's the that? best hair is is post pool or ocean hair. Oh yeah, it's, post ocean hair is a great look. It, like the kind of hair you can't even run your hand through because it's all <laughs> it's all tangly. <laughs> I like that look. Yeah, that's a rugged look, Adam. You know what that is a look of? That is not the look of a person who's been marooned on a planet for ten years. Yeah, uh, everyone's hair looks fucking great. They they landed with a. Uh, Two craft, one of which was just stocked to the gills with uh, <laughs> shampoo and, and conditioner. <laughs> it's, it's nothing but straw hats and spray conditioner all the way down. <laughs> Golden cotton. The cut. Golden cotton. So. They, so they've got a very, like, agrarian lifestyle. They've got, you know, they've got crops that come right up to the edge of their little town playset. You know, they've got rules like they're like, yeah, you can hang out with us for a while, but we all work for our supper. Everything feels cool at first, but <laughs> this episode is really good and has great performances and stuff. But one thing that is not so great is that the writing really can't get out of its own way. And one example of that is that like multiple times they're standing around going like, yeah, like, uh, you know, I, I'm an engineer and I didn't believe in all of these kind of uh uh, Luddite ideas that Alexis was putting out initially, but then I got into it, and uh, it's been so great ever since. And then somebody comes in and goes, "There's somebody sick and dying." Right. As a counterexample to the truth of the statement that was just uttered. Yeah, uh, you can see the threads of the formula throughout. Yeah, like working in the field, and O'Brien is talking about how Keiko would love. You know, he sucks at plants, but Keiko loves him. She'd love it here, and then. Suddenly, like, the hot box is revealed. Joseph's like, yeah, I mean, she sounds cool and everything, but do you have orgies? (laughs) (laughs) Have you seen the butt-sized pears we have at the Continental (laughs) Breakfast? Yeah, so they, like, they do a little bit of reading of what Alexis is about, and she's uh, one of these... She's kind of polymath thought leaders where she's, uh, she's written a lot of the things she believes down in books... And has commented on everything from, you know, art to literature to philosophy. And she's a back-to-the-land anti-technology radical. Like, she really doesn't think that technology has much to offer. Obviously, the technology of, like, living inside of a house or uh, cultivating crops is okay. The technology of shooting an arrow out of a bow is okay. But uh, any, like, electromagnetic based technology she is against and that includes medicine she has a fairly substantial collection of vanity press books <laughs> and like so many gideon's bibles uh <laughs> she has placed them throughout the compound yeah yeah cisco uh, gets into his room and checks the the little end table next to his bed sure enough a couple of her books in there 
Into the toilet tank you go. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I read that Ian McKellen rips out the homophobic stuff in Bibles in hotel rooms that he checks into and throws them away, which I, I'm not really clear on, like, whether that's, like, a property crime or not, given that, like, it's not really the hotel putting it in in the room, but... uh I think that's a pretty rad move. I think a radder move would be to not put Bibles in hotel rooms. <laughs> yeah. That would be pretty cool. I could get behind that. I think there's hotel rooms that have like the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution instead of the Bible. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. I mean, if if you're putting re- reading material in there, I feel like there's a lot of different directions you could go. One specific religion might not be the right one. What we're getting at is how uncomfortable proselytizing is and that is what alexis is all about she is more and more forcefully proselytizing her way of thinking upon ben and miles who they choose to call by their first names in kind of an overt passive aggressive act to me like there are no ranks anymore for them they're trying to get them passive aggressive act eh (laughs) (laughs) yes ben um, you can you can read about it in my book. The uh, is is it just a book about Seattle? <laughs> yeah, uh, sure is. <laughs> um, yeah, like I think that it kind of first becomes urgent for Cisco and O'Brien when they see the sick girl and she's like wasting away on this on this bed and they've wrapped some leaves around a wound on her arm and they say that there's like a local disease carrying insect and she's fallen victim to this and they're like oh fuck well we've got a medical kit on the runabout we'll like work a little harder on getting in touch with that and we'll beam that thing down we'll get her squared away and uh she she pushes back really hard if you want to put your efforts to good use search the forest for something else we might use and her stated belief here is if we spend any time thinking about a a save coming from outside of this community, uh, this community will die because we've got, there's a field here that prevents any technology from working. And anytime we, anytime we waste like pining for a technological fix to our problems is time that is killing us. And uh, the creep factor really gets pegged here because once you start talking about controlling people's thoughts, So back on the station, Dax and Kira have uh, received word that a Starfleet admiral is is going to be coming by the station for reasons, and Dax suspects that the real reason is that Ben Sisko is a terrible poker player, and this admiral wants to wants to enjoy beating Ben Sisko at poker. Who is this Dax you're talking about? Is she a character on this show? <laughs> yeah, she's uh, she's back. Uh, she's replaced Odo and Quark. Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> and, uh, and Dr. Bashir. That makes sense. Um, Take the week off, guys. <laughs> they really leave the uh, the main cast aside in this episode. Like, it's it's really just like Kira Dax. O'Brien, Cisco, and then all of the colonists that are characters in this. Yeah, what they end up doing is taking a runabout out to find the missing runabout, which has been reported at warp, just cruising, unpiloted. Which is the episode really revealing that something is very wrong. And I appreciated that they revealed that there's something very wrong without doing like a dun-dun-dun, you know? There's no Riker eyes to commercial or anything. That's just a puzzle piece that's there for you to to incorporate as you like. It's very interesting to me, the idea of a runaway runabout. Like, that's fun. But Dax and Kira choose a life-threatening course of action to recover just basic Federation materiel. <laughs> like, they... Like Kira's like, okay, cool. I'll transport over while at war- while we're at warp. Uh, I know it's not ideal, but people do it all the time. Uh, let's get it done. And Dax is like, whoa, hold your horses here. Uh, why don't I instead attempt to do a thing that is very dangerous 
and we yeah. see if that works. Why risk just you when we could risk both of us? <laughs> and why didn't they do the reliant trick where they uh, where they punch in? They the... enter the code. Yeah. I agree. I think this scene only needs a little bit of punch up to make a lot more sense, which is more specifically describe the danger an out of control warp capable runabout is. Like yeah. it could be headed for a populated system or a planet. Right. But they never mentioned where it's heading. They only mentioned that it skimmed off of a star on its way here. I mean, there's some pretty exciting special effects stuff in this part. Like they some they do some cool model work with the two runabouts and I almost I mean not to excuse the flimsy writing but I almost wonder if you have to get that stuff locked down earlier so that the special effects department can create those shots and then mm. you know like there's less time for revising those concepts yeah I wonder I don't know production wagging the episode <laughs> yeah they go. They go grab this uh, this runabout and uh, really just barely save it by the skin of their teeth. Remind me to send a thank you note to the assembly teams. Uh, back on the planet, we have discovered the punishment box, which is a place where candle stealers go <laughs> uh, to spend a day. It looks like it's a largely airless box. Yeah. Out in the middle of the sun. Doesn't look like a pleasant spot to be. Well, they're like the Edo, you know? They're, they're like, uh, we don't rot quite as much nuck and we don't kill you for your crimes, but all all crime is punishable by one punishment. Yeah. It ends up being Chekhov's box here, Ben, because you just know one of our favorite characters is going to get put in it later. Yeah. But not before Cassandra is uh, showing up at Cisco's apartment like late at night she, she's brought some uh some lubrication it's wonderfully soothing <laughs> she's offering to uh rub them shoulders boy when an attractive lady shows up at your apartment bearing lubricant <laughs> i mean cisco's a single man i think he reads this as a not entirely consensual situation because he is fucking pissed when he goes to alexis and yeah and he he draws out of her that indeed cassandra was sort of sent there on her suggestion to sort of ease him into the colony via sex. It's not what I'm used to. I think Cisco is also upset because a mentholated massage oil does not make a good lubricant. Yeah. And, and, and in fact, could be very painful, probably doesn't work well with latex. <laughs> I'd say even bigger liability for her than him, even. Yeah, that's not going to be fun. It's much more sensitive stuff on a lady. I've heard. <laughs> it has that reputation. <laughs> I love this next scene, though. You're right. Cisco marches into Alexis's office and is like, Did you send her to my room? Yes. I think you're contemptible. Alexis is like, I noticed you're still wearing your uniform. Why don't you have an action vest? <laughs> Do you need a, a condom? Because I'm also the RA for this. Uh, community and I can provide those but this is like this is where it really breaks you know like from jump she has been trying to encourage Cisco and O'Brien to just abandon any hope of rescue to take off their Starfleet uniforms stop pretending that they're in Starfleet and commit to the idea that this is where they live now and this is the rest of their lives and they better get into the the Alexis lifestyle or it's going to be a problem and their resistance to her way of thinking and living uh, is made clear pretty fast. When Cisco is made to get into the box, taking responsibility for O'Brien's repeated attempts to contact the runabout. Right. The, there's like this scattering field that they really want to find a way to cut through so that they can communicate with their ship because this girl is dying and they want to they want to get the medical kit. They want to do what they know how to do to help her. And uh, that is tantamount to a crime in this community. But despite the fact that O'Brien is the one that was caught uh, fiddling with his tricorder, uh, Cisco is the one to receive the punishment. We get the single brass instrument of unjust imprisonment. Yeah. You know, it's one thing to stick Kalamini in that box. Right. But in an agrarian context, when you're 
forcibly imprisoning Avery Brooks. Uh, did you feel the racial implications of this context, or was that a projection on my part? I think that this show is aware of that, and I didn't think that in this episode it was implying that Alexis is doing this for racial reasons, but more doing it for, I like, this town is not big enough for two leaders reasons, and Cisco is a leader, and is diametrically opposed to her philosophically. I totally agree with what you're saying, that for character reasons, that's not the thing. But I think for emotional reasons, it serves Commander Sisko's sacrifice. Yeah. It makes it more deeply felt. Right. Because she gives him the opportunity after 12 or so hours in the box to... Get, get out of the uniform and, you know, integrate himself into their way of life. And instead of doing that for the prize of a glass of water, turns around and walks himself back out to the box. I mean, we've done a lot of comparing this episode to other episodes, but this is Cisco's There Are Four Lights. Yeah, absolutely. Right here. It's a, it is a really powerful character moment for him. And he's not Picard, but... This is what a Starfleet captain does, you know? At this point, I I mean, there is a lot of nonverbal communication happening between O'Brien and Cisco in this scene and in most other scenes where they're together on yeah. the planet surface. But if I'm seeing my commanding officer treated this way and I have a garden implement in my hand, I think I'm going to try to kill someone here. Alexis is a threat to these people. People are dying because of their lack of access to medicine. Uh, people look like they have probably died in that box before, and your commanding officer is, is looking like he's in pretty bad shape. At what point do O'Brien and Cisco consider violence? That is never on the table in this episode in a very weird way. Well, you know, they're so outnumbered, and the people in this town are true believers, you know? If, yeah. if he's he's standing there with a rake, but... Cisco's in no position to fight either at yeah. this point. Yeah, I mean, he might get one or two of them, but he's going to be overwhelmed eventually, and then they're in worse shape than when he started. His his play is the long game of, I need to actually get connected to the ship. Right. And so he goes up to uh, where his buddy, the engineer, that uh, he first met on the planet uh, works. He's like, uh, hey, Joseph, like I kind of need either need your help in uh in like building something to find my ship or i need you to shut up about it and joseph is is uh willing to be uh irish neck punched yeah what kind of move is this i don't know like the vulcans have the neck pinch and uh o'brien has a has a move he can do to knock somebody out that won't hurt at all <laughs> is this part of starfleet training or is know. this just classic O'Brien? <laughs> well, you know, in a, in a war with the Cardis, you got to learn all kinds of things. What are you So he knocks uh, he knocks his his buddy out and builds kind of a gourd compass. Yeah, where uh, he's got some some kind of metal thing embedded in in a piece of wood that's floating in water in a gourd, and he's like running around in the forest, and he finds uh, kind of uh, an image that really reminded me of the end of the first season of Lost. Yeah, he finds a uh, a computer system underground in the forest. Like he's just like kind of looking at this readout when an arrow plunges into the tree trunk behind his head. Yeah, uh, Vinod's kind of a good shot with that bow and arrow. Not a great shot, but kind of good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the thing that Vinod does have are some fucking pipes. Yeah, he's rocking some uh, some beefy arms. I mean, Cassandra is definitely an arms girl. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm surprised that uh, she hasn't had her eye on Vinod. <laughs> Maybe uh, rub some of that uh, icy hot on there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Bring out a little bit of a sheen. 
let the uh, let the ripples kind of stand out a little bit more. Now, when you're rubbing liniments onto some saw <laughs> muscles, <laughs> you're gonna want to use some small, even pressured circles. That way, you loosen up the sawness. What is this? Tom Silva went to the gym. <laughs> I don't believe that for a second. <laughs> When you're through with the bench press, you're going to want to wipe down the bench afterwards. That's just common courtesy for other people using the gym. <laughs> but, you know, Vinod is uh, is just a dopey 22-year-old that has lived in a Luddite society for the last 10 years. So he doesn't really have the tactical prowess that one Miles Edward O'Brien is rocking. So... He falls for the classic shoot-the-uniform trick. O'Brien learned the take-off-your-clothes defense during the Cardassian War. (laughs) That's a part of his strategy he doesn't like to talk about. (laughs) I don't hate you, Cardassian. I hate what you made me become. Nude. (laughs) It's mostly about O'Brien's body shame. (laughs) It's not even about the conflict. It's about his vanity. I did like getting to see what Starfleet underpants look like, though. Yeah. Same same color as the the turtleneck that they wear. That's kind of cool. A little bit longer in the shorts than I would have expected. Totally. Yeah. An interesting little reveal. (laughs) Kind of a basketball short. We're seeing a lot of O'Brien this season. Yeah. <laughs> well, he kind of storms back into town after getting the the literal drop on Vinod, and uh, he has disabled the field emitter that has been disabling all of their equipment, and that means his phaser works. So first order of business, shoot the phaser at the box that Cisco's in. Keep your fingers crossed that it doesn't punch a hole through the box and kill Cisco, I guess. <laughs> The door flops open and Cisco comes out, and O'Brien reveals to the townspeople what he found in the woods. A porno mag! No. <laughs> this is Alexis's cue to have her monologue about her redefinition of man, about how they all got what they wanted, right, guys? Would any of you have learned who you really are? At the core, if you hadn't have come here. I mean, I got your subservience to me. That was a part of it. But uh, but you also unlocked things about yourself that you would never have learned about if you were to work in a fucking cubicle. Like, she basically mm-hmm. cubicle shames everyone in the camp. Yeah. But interestingly, she has to go stand for the crimes of preventing medicine from being administered to these people and... I guess probably kidnapping, like a little unclear what the list of crimes is, but it seems like it's probably long. Uh, And she and her son are going to go stand for those crimes. But the townspeople fairly unanimously decide to stay and keep uh, living the lifestyle that they've had for the last 10 years. God, I had such a glimmer of hope. But then, et tu, Joseph? This is our home. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking Joseph, I thought he was my guy. He was a little bit complicit in O'Brien finding the box, but then Joseph, Joseph is either an idiot or he's fucked Alexis or it's a power grab. And now that she's gone, Joseph runs the show. Right. I think that that's maybe my read is that like he sees this power vacuum forming and leaps into it. Because here's the thing. You're, you're talking about a group of people being told that they've been living a lie. They've been deceived this entire time they're dupes and it's not really something people like to believe about themselves and i think that him providing a narrative in which they're not dupes they just happened to come here with a lady who is not entirely honest is is something that i think people would be willing to latch on to but also that kind of embarrassment provokes a very strong reactions And those are the reactions you don't get in this scene. Yeah. What's a suitable punishment for Alexis? I don't know. Like, does she go to Federation jail? Are these people still considered to be citizens of the Federation? Like, what's the process of separating yourself from it if you, like, have your own planet and you just don't want to be a part of it? It's not wrong to give us a little more information here. 
because I think that information is satisfying. Instead, what you get is the very last shot are two little kids looking at the punishment box after the four beam back up to the runabout. What do you make of those kids? Like, it's not their choice to be there. It looks like they are of the age where they were born there. Yeah, it's a little bit like the uh, genetically perfect society that Ron Canada lives in, where it's a problem if any of them leave. I feel like Ron Canada could be brought in as a consultant here right. to work with the people on the planet. Like, you want to bring in a thought leader, someone who's really been through it before. Yeah, somebody who didn't necessarily see the wisdom of what Starfleet was putting out there initially, but eventually had to kind of deal with the reality that it existed. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. And I think you tack, you tack that 10 minutes on at the end. Yeah. You contact I'd- Ron Canada... You, you bring him in a slideshow. You tell uh, you tell all the like syndication partners. Hey, this this is a not a forty four minute episode. This is actually a fifty five minute episode. But uh, the good news is Ron Canada is the last eleven minutes of it. So buckle in, people. Hey, you know what we could also use for a group of people who have been in distress for 10 years? I mean, can we get an empath up in this bitch? (laughs) That might be nice, right? How many empaths are there in the Star Trek universe? I think think we need one on the scene here. What they should have done is like that thing where if like a girl and a boy are at makeout point in a car and the cops rap on the window... They, like, get them out of earshot of each other. Like, they, they walk the boy down the road a little bit, and they ask the girl, like, is this, are you feeling safe with this guy? Is this cool? Is this a chill situation? <laughs> That's great. Like, they take each town's member and go, like, say, like, in private, hey, like, you can come with us or you can stay here. Totally up to you, you know? And, and you can change your mind whenever you want also. Here's a communicator. Show me on this box where it touched you. <laughs> more, more, more. Did you like this episode, Ben? Uh, I really did. I mean, it's a it's it's an episode that is so Star Trekky. It's like such a Star Trekky yeah. thing that they encounter. But yeah. I love that it's like kind of an original set of story beats for that very Star Trekky premise. And I love the character stuff that it does for Ben Cisco and for uh, O'Brien and. I love the like Kira and Dax rescue mission. It's like the the boys road trip went real bad and the, now the girls are going to go on a road trip to save them. Yeah, <laughs> like, that part's fun. I like that. There also seems to be a scarcity to the runabouts that make their mission very important. <laughs> yeah. So uh so yeah, I I thought uh, and and I loved the uh the Lady Goshevin character. I loved seeing Kopau. Yeah, in uh, in something. So uh, Me too. yeah, for all, I mean, all of that added up to an episode that I tremendously enjoyed. I like the up too, Ben. I mean, I think there are some areas that we talked about wanting to punch up a little bit, but uh, yeah, fun up, pure trek, unadulterated trek. You wanna you wanna check some pure P ones? I love checking P ones, whether or not they are pure or cut with baby laxative. <laughs> The effect is often the same. Yeah. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Ben, our first priority one message is from Phil. It is for Austin Harper and the FODs. Those are the friends of DeSoto. That's right. Austin, uh, one of the mods of our Facebook group. Message goes like this. I'm a bit late for this. March Madness brackets normally pay the winner. Instead, I'm paying for this message. (laughs) Thanks, Austin, and all who participated in TGG's March Madness brackets. While my Wolverines lost in the end, (laughs) as in Red Dawn, I won the bracket because of them. Props to Adam, Ben, and all the folks who put this together. You make Mondays rock. Hell yeah. No, you rock, Phil. Yeah. Phil is the one who rocks here. Adam, we have another Priority One message here. It is from Mike, and it is for Meg. It goes like this. Congrats on your master's degree. 
Glad you finished your degree, unlike the boy, Wesley Crusher. Next time you're in town, let's be drunk Shimoda's. I hope this is a decent backup gift, since I could not afford a real doll. Kevin needs to think about a layaway program. (laughs) My products are only sold COD. Mike, what you have to understand is that as a businessman, I have to manage cash flow. (laughs) And if I can't count on full payment when I put a product to market it really causes problems with ordering raw materials for my business and we all know how difficult it can be to obtain raw materials what you don't seem to grasp is that i'm a craftsman (laughs) i make these fuck dolls one at a time (laughs) there's no layaway program i guess you could say i put the anal in artisanal If you have a priority one message for a friend, co-worker, or someone you like to sell sex dolls to, commercial messages are $200, personal messages are $100, and they are a great, great way to support the ongoing production of The Greatest Generation. That is true. Thank you, everybody. Hey, Adam. What's that, Ben? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Incredible. Drunk Shimoda! Indeed, it is a time code Shimoda, Ben. Ooh, snap. Uh, If you cue the episode up to 40 minutes and 53 seconds, uh, I think what I have found is another replicant because they do a little bit of reaction shot a go-go here Uh to Alexis's monologue. Yeah. And the lady in purple shows up twice in subsequent (laughs) cuts. Whoa. She's next to one person and then she's in between two different people later, like in the next shot. What the yeah. fuck is up with that? Maybe it's like uh, like that episode of TNG where where there were like multiples of everybody. Well, I think the dark secret of this camp is becoming more clear. I think they're they're fucking around with with genes and clones. Yeah. And straw hats? Yeah, she didn't... She's very anti-technology, but she didn't reveal that she's also very pro-cloning. <laughs> That's the same woman, right? That is the same woman. She is really not feeling the speech. Yeah. <laughs> and that's my Shimoda. Who's yours, Ben? I could not not give Chief O'Brien the Shimoda for that mm. just punching the phaser button without looking where he's pointing it. Yeah, give me a break, moment. Miles. Like, I laughed when I saw it. That's a real idiot move. <laughs> so, Very incongruent (laughs) character doing something that makes no sense. I have expected him to aim it at his own face. (laughs) Like, what would the protocol be for that? Aim it at the ground? Aim it at the sky? Maybe aim it at the sky. How, what is the effective range of a hand phaser? I don't know. It's confusing. The whole thing is confusing. The whole thing is confusing. Boy, do I love a microdose gummy from Lumi Labs. I'm uh, I'm running low, so I'm going to head over to microdose.com pretty soon and put in another order. Microdosing is a technique I use to steer my mentals in a preferred direction several times a week. And uh, I just love it because you can really predict what is going to happen and to what degree it is going to happen because these are very low-dose cannabis gummies that uh, give you an entry-level dose that help you feel just the right amount of good. And they've been super loyal as sponsors to Greatest Trek and Greatest Gen, so I hope you will give them a try. Get 30% off your first order plus free shipping today at microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. It's available nationwide. That's microdose.com. Promo code is SCARVES for 30% off and free shipping. Microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. One of the amazing things about making The Greatest Generation is getting to see all of the cool, creative stuff that the Friends of DeSoto make when we do a Code 47 episode. People send in handcrafted stuff all the time, and they send in their books. They send in paintings they send in uh, crochet work it's so cool and uh i want a few more of you to have websites to direct us to in those letters i want you to put your beautiful work on display for the world 
so that when we get to look at it, we can tell people where to go to get a look at it themselves. And you don't have to know anything about building a website to build a website these days because you can use Squarespace. It'll look beautiful no matter what kind of device people are looking at it on. Hell, you can even sell stuff using a Squarespace website. Don't make your cool creative project captain's eyes only. Head to squarespace.com slash scarves for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Ben, what do we have coming up on the next episode? Well, Adam, the next episode is season two, episode 16, Shadow Play. Odo and Dax try to solve the mystery of an alien planet whose inhabitants are disappearing without explanation. Hmm. What says Netflix? Well, Adam, of course, Netflix always has a slightly different encapsulation. And uh, this one, it says, in the Gamma Quadrant, Dax and Odo detect an unusual particle field on the surface of an unexplored planet. Hmm. I mean, I think that the the moral of the story is Dax is in the episode. Uh, you want to see if drinks are in the episode? Yeah, we're uh, we're pretty close to drinks, right? Yeah, we're on square forty-five, and uh, and a quarks bar is just one square away. You're required to learn as you play. Roll. That is exciting, Adam. Do you want to uh, roll them bones and tell us what the people might win? Yes. Oh, and I rolled a six, Ben. Chula! Did I win? Hardly. Oh, wow. One, two, three, four, five, six. That uh, leaves us on square 51, a mere three squares away from another quarks bar. A different quarks bar right. square. And also within within the danger zone of a looking at each other during, which I believe is an episode that requires one of us to buy a plane ticket. <laughs> Is that correct? Sure is, Ben. Uh, maybe we can time it in such a way that if we have to land on it, we can do that uh, during Max FunCon. But we do this game straight up. There's no cheating. No fingers on the uh, on the scales. It could just be a very expensive lesson. Yeah. Don't write things on your stupid game board that cost hundreds of dollars <laughs> that you don't really have. <laughs> uh, that's fun. Almost as much fun as all the great music that... Dark Materia and Adam Ragusea make for every episode, Ben. That is true. Another fun thing is uh, talking about the show on social media using the hashtag GreatestGen. We really appreciate especially the folks who go to Apple Podcasts and leave a nice review. Tell people what uh, they like about the show. Yeah, how are people going to find out about the show unless people leave a nice review? Uh, We have so far gone ignored by the Star Trek Industrial Complex. Yeah, which is probably a good thing in the long run. But, I mean, and it's not like we're interested in getting offers of Big Rod pocket status, but we 
there's like a legitimately cool Star Trek community out there, and it's not being acknowledged in a way that I find a little irritating. All I want is what Alexis wanted for her people. I want uh, I want a redefinition of Star Trek fandom, and Friends yeah. of DeSoto should be that definition. And I want more of them. Yeah. And if all the Friends of DeSoto act in subservience to us, then that's just what happens, Ben. <laughs> that's just what happens making us their leaders. We didn't want yeah. that. No, that's not what we set out to. I mean, we may have lied and uh, told them we were going to uh, one planet and we really wound up being on another. If a couple of friends of DeSoto end up staying in the box for a day, then then they clearly did something bad. Yeah, they deserve it. And they, they, they agreed to these rules. A lesson for everybody else. <laughs> Uh, listen to our show, Greatest Discovery, about Star Trek Discovery. And also our show, Friendly Fire, which is about war movies, but it's really more about culture and history. And uh, we use war movies as kind of a an interesting device to change what culture and history thing we are talking about from week to week. Check out the cards that Bill Tilly makes for every episode over on Twitter at BillTilly1973. Definitely do that. And with that... We will be back at you next time with another great episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine and an episode of The Greatest Generation Deep Space Nine, which promises to include Dax. That guy that that was in there for stealing a candle and she says like oh you would have been just living in jail if you'd stayed in the federation (laughs) it's like really that guy would have been living in jail like you can't steal a candle in the federation because you can just replicate one you're only allowed to fuck them (laughs) (laughs) maximumfun.org comedy and culture artist owned listener supported